Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, my name is Andrew Brown. I am the director of youth ministry here at New Life. And today we'll be continuing a series on the book of James entitled The Undivided Life. We've been working through this book section by section every time I preach. And this morning we're going to be working through chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Let me start by sharing an email with you that I received a while ago. It said this. Congratulations, you have been selected in ExxonMobil's Mega Awards promo and you have been awarded $1 million. Kindly contact our processing, offer to, processing officer to claim your reward. Please provide the following information ASAP, name, address, and telephone number. We are glad to have you as one of our luckily winners. Yours sincerely, Mr. Manny B. Now, I obviously know that this is a fake email. Not for one second did I actually think I won a million dollars. Perhaps it was the misspelled words, the odd capitalization, something like that, that tipped me off. You know, we get these kinds of emails all the time, and they're easy to spot as a scam. They're easy to spot as fake. We never truly believe them. But not everything is so easy to see. Sometimes it can be really hard to tell the difference between what is true and what is false. And that's actually getting more and more difficult if you think about it. Pictures and videos today can be altered, documents can be forged, scientific evidence can be distorted. We live in a world where knowing the difference between what is real and what is false is not easy. And you know, the same can be said of our faith. If you think about it for a second, you can't see faith, you can't smell faith, you can't touch faith. So how can you know if it's real and how can you know if your faith will truly save you? Because it's one thing to respond to a false email like this. That might cause you some grief, might give you some headaches, maybe some nightmares down the line. But it's totally different with false faith. Fake faith will utterly destroy you. It will lull you into a false sense of security and it will blind you to your true situation. False faith is incredibly dangerous and everyone in this room, whether you've been a believer for six months or you've been a believer for 60 years, we should all heed the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We need to examine our faith to see if it is real. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be looking at four signs to show show us if our faith is real or if it's just a scam. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me now to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible, or if you didn't bring one this morning, there should be one of uh, a Bible, a paperback Bible in one of the pews in front of you. If you wouldn't mind just getting that out and turning over to page 587, you can find our text that we'll be reading for today. James chapter 2, 14 through 26. Please stand for the reading of God's word. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would reveal your truth to us. We pray that you would convict us, you would comfort us through the power of your spirit. In the name of your son, amen. You can be seated. The first sign of real faith that we'll be looking at is that faith is more than talk. Real faith is more than talk. We see this in verse 14 there. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So James here in this section, he introduces a hypothetical opponent that he's going to kind of argue with throughout this section. And this person says they have faith. If you asked them what they believe, they would, you know, proudly stand up and say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I was baptized when I was 13. I, I know the Apostles' Creed forwards and backwards. But James tells us here that this person who says those things doesn't have works. And just to be clear here, works are actions done in obedience to God's commands. Actions done in obedience to God's command. This person doesn't have those. Now, James isn't saying that this man has never done anything good or that this man has never done anything in accordance with God's law. What James is saying here is that this man is more of a talker than a doer. He is known by Christian, he is known as a Christian more by his words than by his works. For instance, if you asked his neighbors, they probably would have never known that he was a Christian apart from his t-shirts and bumper stickers. They see nothing in his life that reminds them of Jesus. And so James asks two questions about this kind of faith that this man has, a faith that's all talk and no action. And the answer to both of these questions is implied. Let's look at the first one. The first question there is, what good is it for this man to proclaim that he has faith? And the answer, the implied answer, is that it's not good. It's no good. It's the opposite of good. It's useless. It's even harmful. 
It makes this man unaware of his true spiritual state, and it harms the cause of Christ in the world. When people observe this man's life, they either find that his belief in Jesus makes no real difference in his life, or worse, they start to assume that all Christians look just like this man and then want nothing to do with Christ himself. So this man's profession of faith is not good since it is not backed up by works of faith. Now let's look at the second question there. Can this kind of faith, the faith that doesn't have any works, can this faith save him? And the implied answer again is no, it cannot. This empty profession of faith is not the kind of faith that saves. Jesus himself made this clear in Matthew 7, 21, one of the most frightening verses in some ways in the New Testament. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So in the Bible, when someone uses a name twice in a row, it's frequently a, a, a statement about your relationship with that person. It means you have a friendship with them. So these people are calling out to Jesus and they're saying, they're claiming they have a relationship with him. That's why they say, Lord, Lord. But Jesus makes it clear that just saying these words don't make them a reality. Profession does not automatically equal possession. Profession does not equal possession. For instance, if I told you that I have a time machine in my backyard. Would you believe me? Probably not. I hope you would not believe me. But just because I profess something to be true, just because I make a statement about it, doesn't make it really a reality. Well, the same is true with saving faith. It's more than just profession, more than just saying the right words. According to Jesus in this verse, it's about doing the will of the Father. So if you hear someone say, I believe in God, I'm, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, you shouldn't automatically, just because they professed that, automatically assume that their faith is real. Or even yourself, just because you say that you're a Christian doesn't automatically mean that you are. Real faith is more than talk. But it's also more than feelings. Real faith is also more than feelings. And we see these in the next Verses there, 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here we have a Christian brother or sister, someone who is in the church, who is in need. This person needs food, uh, he needs clothing, and by implication there, you could probably assume he also needs shelter. And James tells us that the person with false faith would say to this person in need, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And basically, that translates with, I really want you to be fed, I really want you to be clothed, I really want you to have shelter, I want you to have peace, but I just don't want to be the one that does it. So this person feels the right things, but he never actually does them. He probably says things like, I know I should care for the poor, and I really want to, but I just never get around to it. But James warns us here that just feeling the right things, but never doing the right things, is a sign of dead faith, 
A faith with a body, but no spirit, no life in it, and a faith that won't save. It's interesting here that James focuses on the treatment of the poor. Now, clearly this principle could apply in many areas. If you feel like you should read the gospel, feel like you should pray, feel like you should go to church, feel like you should spend time in the word, but never get around to it, well, that might also be a sign of dead faith. But I think James here focuses on our care for the needy, and particularly the care of those within the church, because our treatment of these people is often one of the biggest areas where we feel the right things, but don't always do the right things. It's really hard to care for the poor. I mean, how do you determine who is really in need, and how much should you give to that person, and what exactly should you give to that person? These are hard questions, and the answers may look different for each one of us, but one thing from this passage is very clear, very easy to understand. If a situation arises when someone in our church is in real, tangible need, and you see it, and you have the means to help them out, but instead of sacrificing for their sake, you say something like, I'll pray for you, and that's all you do, then according to James, your faith is questionable. You're using religious words to cover over your own selfishness and disobedience. And this is exactly what James is warning about. The language used in this example here is a prayer. D.A. Carson, he says it this way, the go in peace is a blessing. The be warmed and filled makes this blessing specific. It is pious, it is full of faith, God will provide. It is very religious. It is theologically correct. What it lacks is the going to their own wardrobe and pantry and getting out their own clothing and food and sharing it with their unfortunate brother and sister. So James makes it clear that our treatment of those who are in need, not just our well wishes and good intentions, but our actual tangible actions are like a heart rate monitor for our faith. It shows us whether our faith is alive and beating or whether it has flatlined. Real faith is more than feelings. Real faith is also more than beliefs. Real faith is more than beliefs. We see this in verses 18 and 19. But someone will say to me, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James's hypothetical opponent here, he's going to take a new approach. He is now going to try to completely divide faith and works, making it one or the other. So he's basically saying, okay, um, you're the faith guy, and I'm the works guy. You know, what's the big deal about that? You focus on faith, I'll focus on works, why can't we just let bygones be bygones? You know, that's kind of his argument. But James is saying, no way, that's not how it works. James is not having that. He understands that right beliefs necessarily show themselves in right actions. And that's why he asks his opponent here, show me your faith. If you're so confident that this is why, show me your faith apart from works. And he asks them that because he knows that it can't be done. You cannot see someone's faith apart from their actions. And if you don't see it in their actions, then they don't truly believe it. I came across this quote by a famous comedian named Louis C.K., who I believe is agnostic. 
said something really interesting about this. He said this, I have a lot of beliefs, and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs, and I just like believing in them. I like that part. They're my little believies. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way of a thing I want, I sure as heck just do what I want to do. This is exactly what James is arguing against. Lewis is trying to divide his beliefs and his actions. But as soon as one of those beliefs comes in conflict with something that he wants, well, the belief just goes out the window. And this, according to James, shows that his belief isn't real. He doesn't really believe what he says he believes. Instead, his actions show what he truly believes. And the same is true for us. You see, being a Christian is about more than just passing a theology test. It's about more than just having correct beliefs. In verse 19 there, we see that the demons believe. The demons are experts in theology. They know and believe right things about God. You ever thought about that? You ever consider this? really crazy to think about. To quote D.A. Carson again, he says this, Satan's own troops are fully orthodox, fully believing the truth. In fact, in the Gospels, they give a far fuller confession of Christ than the apostles. And unlike the person who claims to believe without showing any outward deeds, they act consistently with their belief. They shudder. They shudder because they are in rebellion against God and they know they are going to hell. Perhaps James implies those who claim to have faith without deeds should be shuddering as well. Belief alone about God, even if it's right, won't save the demons and it won't save you either. Just because you know the Bible, you have some sort of theological understanding of things or claim to believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you are saved. According to James, if you really believe something, then you'll be able to see it with your corresponding actions. And that leads us to our final point, real faith works. Real faith works. See this in verses 20 through 26. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith without works is useless. And James says here, only a fool could think that it would save them. Real faith must be completed by works. Now, to be clear here, real faith 100% includes saying, feeling, and believing the right things about God and the right things about Jesus. And I want to overshadow those things. You must do those things as well. There must be real things that you confess, real things that you feel, real things that you believe about God to be saved. But the point that James is making here is that it's also 100% true that you must do works. Works are not an addition to faith, but an essential part of it. And what I mean by that is they're an outgrowth of our faith. 
And to show this essential union here, James is going to give us two examples from the Old Testament that are going to prove this point beyond a shadow of a doubt. But it's really fascinating to think about the two characters he picks to show this. He picks Abraham, the father of the faith, and Rahab, who we heard about last week from Brian. These are two extremely different people who in one sense could not be further from one another. If you think about it, Abraham was a uh, patriarch, Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham's a man, Rahab's a woman. Abraham was an Israelite, Rahab's a Gentile. Abraham was wealthy, Rahab was poor. Abraham's a somebody, while Rahab was a nobody. So why use these two opposites as examples? Well, perhaps James wanted to show that what matters is not who you are, what matters is not where you came from, what matters is ultimately what you do. And that's what these two individuals did have in common. They both acted on what they believed. Their faith was made visible by their works, and they were both saved. They were both justified. Now maybe if you're sitting there, you're, you're getting a little uh, uneasy, and you're thinking about other parts in Scripture, and a question comes up in your mind that says, well, how can James say that faith alone is dead and won't save us when the Apostle Paul says that we are saved by faith alone? It's a really good question, and I hope that came up in your mind. And it's been asked for many, many centuries. And at first glance, it really does seem that James and Paul are opposed to one another, especially when you consider verses like Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And you compare that with James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And it certainly seems that they're at odds here. It seems like they're saying different things. But really, when these verses are seen in context, the apparent contradiction is resolved. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle James are really talking about two different things. They're using the same words to describe different realities. In Romans, Paul is showing how people become right with God. While in our passage here in James, he's showing how people can know their faith is real. So Paul's talking about how you can become saved... Well, James is talking about how you can know that you are saved. See the difference? There's a big difference between those two. I've heard it put this way. Paul focuses on the root of salvation, what happens to me internally, while James focuses on the fruit of salvation, what happens to me on the outside. If you have real faith, if you have real faith, the moment you have turned from your sins, and you have put your trust in Jesus, then at that moment, you were 100% saved. All your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. And this happens without any good works on your part. That's what Paul is talking about. But something happens after that. After God saves you, he does something else in you as well. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. He puts his spirit inside of you, and soon your life begins to change, and you will do good works. Real faith will change your life. And if it doesn't change your life, then your faith isn't real. And that's what James is talking about. So Paul is fighting against the lie that you are saved by the good things you do, 
And James is fighting against the lie that once you believe, it doesn't matter how you live. If you get either of these things wrong, then you won't be saved. And that's why Martin Luther said famously, we are saved by faith alone, but real faith never remains alone. So this morning, as we ask ourselves the extremely important question of how can I know if I'm saved? I don't want to gloss over that. I don't want you to miss that. That is important to ask. How can I know if I'm saved? But as we ask that question, we must not forget the equally important question of how can I be saved? As we examine our faith, we must never forget the object of our faith. I've heard it said, for every one look inward, take ten looks upward. And that means every time we look at our own weak, imperfect and often failing faith, we need to take 10 looks to the one we've put our faith in. Because the truth is, your faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. B.B. Warfield, he summarized it like this. He said, it is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively, not in the act of faith, or the attitude of faith, or the nature of faith, or I would say the amount of faith, but in the object of faith. It is Jesus alone who saves, and it is our faith alone that connects us to him. And he is true, and his promises are real. They're not a scam. God's promises he's made to us, we can trust. And because of those promises, We can say with the author of Hebrews, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God on high. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the way it challenges us. We thank you for the way that it exposes us. But Lord, we're also thankful for the way it points us to the remedy. It points us to our Savior, Jesus. And so Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, hasn't given their life to you, whose faith is not real, I pray that you would change them. I pray that you would work by your spirit in their heart to give them real trust, real hope, real belief in Christ. I pray that you would do that for your own namesake. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.